and welcome to Yikes. That's amazing. I'm your host, Pearl, and I tell stories that are creepy, crazy, and that keep you on the edge of your seat. And I'm your host, Nathan, and I tell stories of positivity, inspiration, and determination. We're best friends. And we're roommates, and we are here to tell you some cool stories. Welcome back, guys. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for episode four today. Yes. It means a lot to us. Can't believe we're already on episode four. Very exciting. Uh, we've been watching closely, seeing how many people are... Uh, yeah, we've been watching you guys, yeah, we've so been watching, uh, we're always watching. We're always watching, constantly. So and please. very creepily. Yes. Um, yes. Um, don't worry. Don't worry. We can see you. We can see everything. All right, anyway, on a less creepy note, we had a pretty good day today so far. Yeah, we went out. Nathan got us a permit so we could go out into the forest and chop our own Christmas tree down, and it was the best thing ever. We got to go out uh, out off the old Mountain Loop Highway, way far away, and uh, we uh, afterward we got to go down to the river, collect some cool rocks, and just hang out by the gorgeous we river. We found the best rocks ever. Yeah, we Let we've been uh, spending the last and we found few the weeks. Perfect tree, honestly. Yeah, no, perfect tree, perfect rocks. Uh, we spent the last few weeks uh, going out like once a week to beaches and rivers and doing some rock hounding and we've been finding some crazy stuff and even got our own rock tumblers so that we can uh, tumble them, polish them and uh, yeah, it's just really exciting and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, highly recommend if you are bored, just go to your nearest body of water and look at all the rocks. Just you'd be surprised. I mean, like, like, however long you want. Yeah, you'd be surprised at the things that you'll find there because, I mean, honestly, I've been to rivers and beaches a lot, but hadn't really, like, had a focus on, like, looking for cool rocks. But it really doesn't take a whole no, lot of now time I'm to like, Holy find shit, some all these fucking <laughs> rocks have been here this whole time. I exactly. feel like I've been missing out on, like, gold yeah and uh, the last few hikes that i've been on because like i'll go on hikes by myself quite often and like even just on the path as i'm going there'll be like little creeks and streams and stuff and there's just super cool rocks that i mean just straight from the mountain just and straight it's from honestly the source really cool too because every place we've been has like different kinds of rocks no it's not that there's different kinds of rocks it's just sometimes there'll know. be more of uh there's like, like um, uh more of one specific rock uh, at a certain place and so the place we went today we l- had never been there before we just saw it and we were like okay cool let's go down here and it ended up being one of my favorite ones that we've been to so far so yeah because we found it like i got a map of places that um under the permit that we got that um, you could cut trees down and it a bunch of them were along different rivers out in the like darrington area or so like we were on the where the Souk river and the white chuck river meet and it was just gorgeous out there and yeah coolest rocks just the best so yeah 10 out of 10 would recommend some rock hounding but now we are all cozied up right next to our christmas tree and ready to tell you guys me to tell you some really sad shit yeah but we are going to start with me today so we can end you guys on a high note yes exactly not get you too depressed yeah, last um, week we did two separate episodes, second episode being a little depresso espresso, but Just, yeah. you know, uh we're going to we're going to end it on a high note today. Yes. All right, so, so let's get into it. Oh, also, just right before we get into it, we wanted to mention and we did post this on our Instagram, but we are now on almost all podcast uh platforms including 
Apple Podcasts, which you might be listening on right now. But what you might not know is that one of the best things you can do to help a small podcast or any podcast um, is to leave a five-star review. And yep. you can literally say whatever you want. You could just type the letter Q. Yeah, or just say like pee-pee, poo-poo, caca or something like that. Yeah, like literally anything. Um, it doesn't matter. Just like leave a five-star if you like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, but yeah. five stars. It's got to be five Honestly, stars. and please just say some crazy weird stuff because I would yeah, love that. I want to read weird. it. Yeah, you don't even have to say anything about the podcast, but also you can say something about the podcast. Yes. And it's a metaphorical, metaphorical, metaphorical kiss on the forehead. Okay. Yes. And a big old hug. Don't worry. You will receive. So we would really appreciate that. Anyway, enough of business. Let's get into it. Let me get into this. Sad shit. Okay. So ready for sad. So today I'm going to be talking about the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Capital M for missing, capital M for murdered type shit. Because <sighs> it is that much of a problem. Um, the rate at which native women and girls go missing is honestly disturbing. Um, and it really does not get even a shred of the media coverage it deserves. There's so many families all across the U.S. with unanswered questions. So many communities left mourning. And what's really sad is that there is basically a total lack of data about any of this. Um, so it, it makes it a lot harder it to makes it harder to solve the problem and, like f- and yeah. yeah exactly and even just and for people get the, the word to get out, out and exactly. people to know and understand how big of a problem mm-hmm. it is so because of poor police reporting lack of police reporting misreporting in general and racial racial misclassification the stat the statistics that you can find are highly inaccurate whatever you can find which is honestly not much it's just not going to be accurate accurate because uh, the systems put in place just aren't good. So um, I don't want to say t- statistics like these women are just statistics and just yeah, diminish no. their stories like that. Definitely that not. That's not what I want to do at all. But I want to talk about this more because the statistics are scary. So And we're kind of having more of a focus focus in this episode on indigenous people coming up closer to Thanksgiving and wanting to give a light to uh, indigenous people in this country and w- what we can do to get the word out more. Yeah, I just have on here that we're obviously like a really tiny tiny podcast at the moment, but you but know, this whatever is really platform important. we have, we want to do what we can to keep the memory of these women alive and to get the word out a little bit more so um my local my story is going to be very local to me and nathan um here in western washington but before i get into that i'm going to share some more of those statistics um as i mentioned before there's a really big problem with inaccurate reporting on these cases and very frequently there's a big jurisdictional debate between federal state local and tribal law enforcement which basically either causes the investigation to just never really launch fully or it starts to become the main issue in the investigation rather than them just doing what they need to do Actually to find investigating. these girls. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how all that stuff works, but it seems like they could kind of get their shit together a little bit and 
not worry so much about Bigger jurisdiction. Fish. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to say definite trigger warning in general. Not like content. Rape. Other horrible things. So the National Crime Information Center reported that in 2016, nationwide, there were 5,712 reports of MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. So the U.S. Department of Justice had filed just 116, which I genuinely do not know how there can be such a huge disparity. Because clearly the numbers were there and they just weren't. I don't know. They were just ignoring <sighs> it. Very frustrating. 5,712. Yeah. And like I said, this is likely very inaccurate. And the, yes, that's And I mean low, so then that's a low number. 150th, if I'm doing the right uh, the math, 150th of the uh, um, actual reported ones, because you said only 100 some had been reported. Yeah, 116. I think I think I, I can't math do correct. math, but, but it's that's, that's a very a small, very shred. small fraction of how many actually happened. Yeah. So murder is the third leading cause of death among indigenous women and girls. They are three times more likely than white women to be murdered. Oh American God. white women. They are twice as likely to be raped. Four out of five experience violence and more than half sexual violence. The murder rate of indigenous women and girls can be up to ten times the national average in certain areas, which is just, again, heartbreaking. Absolutely disgusting. Ten times? Ten times. That is And so these are the reasons why we're, like, this is such an important episode. I don't really hear anyone talking about this. Um, so yeah, because Pearl's been talking about these facts throughout the last week, and like just kind of n- without giving me too much information into her story, and I had never heard any of these facts before she started researching. Yeah, and it I've, I've and heard a lot of these stories on other podcasts, but they they really don't get covered as much as you know the stories as of white women and yeah, a- a- exactly. It's like it's such a massive, like I said, it's an epidemic. So. Something we definitely need to talk about more. So the Urban Indian Health Institute uh, recognized that there were no statistics on MMIW in urban areas, despite the fact that 71% of indigenous people in the U.S. actually do live in urban areas, which kind of surprised me. But this is partially due to federal forced relocation policies from back in the 50s, lack of resources offered to tribes and other reasons, which I feel ignorant for saying I'm surprised. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they surveyed 71 cities across the U.S., and some of their findings findings do not shed a bright light on our beloved state of Washington. Washington is the state with the second highest rate of open MMIW cases, second to New Mexico. Oh. Yeah. 94% of indigenous women and girls living in Seattle experience sexual assault. Ni- d- 94? Almost all of the women and indigenous girls in Seattle experience sexual That's assault. so disgusting. They are legitimately, like, that city is not safe for them. No. Not not that that city is safe at all, but especially it sounds like no. especially for indigenous I mean, women. That's horrifying. That's absolutely horrifying. I'm scared enough to go out there by my, you know, like yeah. myself. And yeah. that's not even, yeah. So 
in 2016, the U.S. government did declare May 5th National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Native Women and Girls, which is obviously amazing, and anything that brings awareness is good, but I think we both know that, like most things the White House fucking does, it's performative. Exactly. And they have perpetrated a lot of the worst crimes against our first people, so I'll fucking believe that they care when I see it. Exactly. Like um, and that's a story for another day, a story for another podcast. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we definitely will cover more oh. indigenous stories than just in this episode. Yeah, I I was going to say that I, I'm definitely going to try and cover more of these in the future. Because like um, we were saying, like we live in Western Washington and there are a lot of stories yeah, uh, similar to the ones we'll be telling today. Mine isn't specifically in Washington. Mine's outside of Washington, but there are a lot of stories of indigenous people in and Washington. And when I was looking at the whole list of all the MMIW in Washington, I was looking up all these different names and like so many of them basically just have absolutely no information. Like nothing. That's it's so sad. It was really <laughs> bringing me down. Okay. So... Time for the actual story. This is kind of a short story because, like I said, we don't know a lot about a lot of these. But I'm going to tell it anyways because it's important. So, like I said, this one's very local to me and Nathan. And it's local to a lot of people that will be listening to this episode. So, I think it'll definitely hit home. Yeah. Shout out to our amazing friends who have been so supportive uh, in us starting this podcast. You guys have been amazing. So, thank you guys for uh, continuing to listen and giving us like. And all of those who haven't listened yet. I hope when you finally hear this, you feel bad. Yeah, I hope <laughs> that you feel really bad about yourself. I hope you listen to this and you're like, "Shit, this is good. Wow. Yeah, why haven't I been Probably listening Nathan to them this whole time?" Getting their bag. The best. Anyway. Um, anyway, that is completely aside from completely the point off that topic. I'm about to talk yeah. About. So, so <clears throat> without further ado, this is about the disappearance of Mary Johnson, also known as Mary Davis, a member of the Tulalip tribe in Tulalip, Washington. This actually only happened a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, which is another reason why I chose it. Um, literally went missing right before Thanksgiving or she went missing on the 25th of November, I think. Oh, so, wow. okay, yeah, so that was it's either basically like right before or right after or maybe even the day of. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, Mary and her husband had been living with her sister in Cedar Woolley, Washington, when they abruptly moved to Marysville, which is about 40 miles away from Cedar Woolley. Uh, her sister stated that in the months before Mary disappeared, she was not herself and would barely keep in contact at all. It was like an occasional text every once in a while. She might answer the phone, but basically there was no contact. Um, Mary and her husband were not in a good place, and she was only ever really at their shared house uh, every three or four days to get clean shower, uh, to get clean shower, <laughs> to get clean clothes, take a shower, collect her mail, that sort of thing. And then she would go and stay with a friend again, just kind of couch surfing, as one would say. So it seems like there was a little trouble in paradise. Yeah, trouble in paradise. It said at one point that she was afraid that her uh, husband was going to move and like take their stuff with him so she had someone like drive her to tribal court to get advice but she went missing shortly after that so Uh there's not yeah yeah so 
The day before the last time she was seen, her estranged husband dropped her off at a friend's house on the reservation, and she had a suitcase with her. She was going to stay there that, that night and then travel 30 miles to Oso, Washington, to stay with a couple she knew that lived there. So on November 25th, she was supposed to get a ride to a church where another friend would pick her up and take her the rest of the way to Oso. So another man that was staying at that same house that she had just stayed at the night before wanted a ride as well. But the person who was going to give Mary a ride ended up, I don't know, it wasn't really clear exactly what happened, but one of Mary or this friend who wanted the ride were being impatient and the guy ended up just kicking them out of his truck and they just started out on foot towards the church. So the other guy, so there's the guy's house that she stayed at, uh-huh. the guy who wants a ride with her uh-huh. in the car, uh, the guy who's giving her the ride, and there's no names oh, so for any of these So these are three separate guys. So the guy whose and house it is, the guy who wants a ride, and the guy who's giving them a ride in the truck. Yes. Guy who's giving them in the r- a ride in the truck kicks them out. Other guy who's supposed to pick them up from the church shows up and obviously since mary and the other guy hadn't been able to get a ride they They were walking and they were taking a long time to get there so he was like wtf yeah and he took off um so he started driving down fire trail road also i wanted to i don't think i said this but they set out around 1 30 um so when he didn't see mary at the church he started driving down the road where he ended up seeing her and the other man that was with her from before, but he said that there wasn't enough room in his car for the both of them and was like, never mind, basically. Oh, so just didn't take either of them. No, and she texted him, and, and he texted her that. Um, so that he there was another guy coming. Her and then was like, I can't fit both of you, so just like, never mind. And they literally. And she was like, "I'm almost to the church, and I don't really know why. Like, it's a little bit confusing, but I guess in the month leading up to this day, her and this dude who was going to pick her up from the church had basically been in contact every single day. But he claims that he never saw Mary again after this, which just seems very suspicious. But I don't know anything about this guy, so I don't know. Yeah, well, like you were saying, saying, it's hard to get the details of this. Couldn't even find names for those. Like, there was basically Yeah, and I don't even know what her relationship with him was. Yeah. So, that was the last text she ever sent. The one that she sent him that said, I'm going to be at the church soon. Um, However, she did make one more call, which was to the house of the couple in Oso. The house that she she was was trying trying to make it. Um... And she left a voicemail because they were busy and they didn't pick up. And she basically, they said she sounded desperate and was asking them to please pick up. But after that, she never arrived to their house and she has not been seen since. So about an hour after her call to the couple in Oso, her phone connected to cell towers in Oso. Um, She didn't have a car or driver's license as a means to get there. So she definitely could not have walked 25 miles in two hours. So it sounds like she was probably hitchhiking. Yes. Um, so clearly she got a ride somehow. Uh, later in the day, around 8.50, her phone connected to Towers back in Marysville. Interesting. Where it stayed until the next morning before being shut off. 
That sounds suspicious. Yeah. Now, we know all of this now because of phone records, uh-huh. but nobody reported her missing until two weeks later. Two weeks? Her estranged husband gave a pre-typed statement to police saying that they were usually in contact every couple of days, and he became especially concerned when she did not return for her welfare checks. Previously, she would pick them up the same day they were delivered. And I mentioned that the statement was pre-typed because it could be construed as fishy, but, you know... Like he was prepared for this exact situation. He also could have been trying to be prepared as he could have been. He didn't... He basically realized, oh, shit, she's been gone for a while. And I'm thinking maybe he just thought he wanted to be as prepared as he could so that he could quickly give them a statement and they could start looking. I mean, I'm sure he was probably aware of the um, slow going process of like missing indigenous women. So he wanted to, I mean, I obviously, I don't know the deeper parts of the story. A problem. It's a very common, sadly, a very common thing that native people have to go through. So maybe he was already ready that he might have to do that someday. I don't know. (laughs) It's so sad. It's really fucked. Um, so a tribal officer said, quote, the fact that she had left many thousands of dollars in tribal welfare checks uncashed is a significant, significant indicator that she is being held against her will or is deceased, unquote. Her family obviously really, really struggles with a lack of answers about Mary's disappearance. They have suspects, but because there's no body or any other substantial evidence, there can be no probable cause, which is necessary for acquiring search warrants. And, you know, because of that, I couldn't even really find any information about whatever suspects they might have. So, also because she wasn't reported right away, surveillance footage that might have been useful could have been overwritten. And also because they don't know if she died on the reservation or not, they don't know if they can leverage certain powers like federal powers that would be really useful. Like you were talking about the the jurisdiction thing. Exactly. So yeah, basically it's been a year and there's no answers. Um, So there's a billboard on I five around the area where she's from that shows a picture of Mary and offers a number to call for tips. So you, you guys might've seen that. Um, but I mean, at least there's that, at least people passing can see a picture of her and hopefully somebody might've seen something at some point. I mean, it was only a year ago, just, just to bring her family some closure. Yeah. Um, because often indigenous women that go missing are victim blamed, like, People just say that they probably did something to get themselves into this situation. So it's basically their fault. And it's like, <sighs> first of all, fuck you if you think like that. Yeah, I'm exactly. sorry. It doesn't matter who it wh- is. Even if somebody put themselves in a dangerous situation, that is not ever a reason for somebody to be hurt. It doesn't or make them less of a victim. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, And also victim blaming really just makes it easier for these slimy fucks to carry out these crimes because they know that they can absolutely get away with it because people have over and over and over again. So I'm going to give you a description of Mary. She is 40 years old. She has black hair, brown eyes. She's 115 pounds. 
five foot six and has a sunburst tattoo on her upper right arm. The FBI is offering a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and charge of the perpetrator of this crime. And you can contact the FBI's Seattle field office or by going to tips.fbi.gov if you have a tip. No tip too small. Tiny details make up a big story, okay? You drive by people on the side of the road every day. You know, you see lots of stuff. Yeah. So just keep your eyes peeled, guys. Um, and it's just a reminder that if you see something, say something. Because mm-hmm. you could save someone's life. I also just want to say, fuck Christopher Columbus. Yeah. There are so many different tribes with their own cultures and beliefs. But a lot of historians and scholars do believe that before colonization and forced cultural assimilation, tribes held their women and two-spirit in high regard. And they were seen as much more equal to the men. Because the women's portion of the duties was central to the welfare of the community, they also held great power economically and socially, and they were celebrated as life givers. But because of oppressive patriarchal gender roles basically brought over by Christy Columbi himself, over time they were kind of relegated to more of the housekeeper role that we see stereotyped in our society Typical nuclear family. And I'm not saying that indigenous women, uh, indigenous people do don't celebrate their women. Yeah, obviously yeah. they do. But it's just another way that we have literally fucked over the people that were actually here before us. Yeah, I go into in my story. I go a little bit into the forced assimilation um, and boarding schools. Yeah, the boarding schools we will be talking about more in the future. Yeah, I talk um, about it a little bit in mine, and I give a um, a website that I got a lot of my information from in there um, that you can go and read uh, up on it as well. But we'll yeah. definitely be talking about that more in future episodes. Yeah. So that's my story. Short, terrible. And unfortunate that it is one of many. Yeah, one of many. But very but important to get the names out about any of change. them. Yeah, there's been some some recent things in the Washington state government that are meant to improve our search efforts and just the way we that the law enforcement investigates these types of crimes. Um and hopefully works hopefully. out a lot of that whole yeah. jurisdiction issue and but surely, I focuses guess. on the importance of actually finding these women. Yeah, exactly. That's what's really important. And that's not really what gets focused on. So uh, anyway, moving on to the good stuff. Yeah, let's uh, let's bring it up a note. Um, so um, I changed my story around a couple of times uh, over the last week or so as I was researching it um, because, like we've been talking about, this is just such an important episode. Um, and, like, with the Thanksgiving coming up, uh, yeah, it's, like, obviously important to be, like, thankful and whatever. But um, uh, Not we thankful for genocide, no, though. No, not thankful ge- for genocide. W- uh, like, we as a people need to be careful of the power that we give to the stories of our ancestors, like, I grew up on, like, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special and everything, and I know there's so many other similar things that kids watch around this time of year, but it's just really sad that we as white people are just starting to wake up to what the indigenous people have been saying this whole time. Um, the European settlers didn't come to America to help the indigenous people. They just came to pillage and conquer. So, um, we just... And rape. And rape. Yeah. And spread STDs. 
and yeah, just take over the lives of the people that have already been living that here for so many thousands of years. Culture, yeah, and you know, way of life. Yeah, and we so we posted about this on an Instagram story a few days ago. Um, but I would urge you in this season of giving to consider uh, donating to the Potlatch Fund. Um, they are a native-led nonprofit organization that provides grants and leadership development to tribal nations in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. Uh, They work to promote diversity and address the inequality by educating foundations about tribal communities, introducing them to native nonprofits, and holding funder briefings specific to Indian country. Uh, So in this holiday season, consider donating to the Potlatch Fund or others like it in your area. Um, They have a website, potlatchfund.org, where you can find out more about the good things that they do. Also, I found that organization on the website seattleurbannatives.org and there were many, many other resources on there that I would highly recommend if you want like a good list. Uh, I don't know. There's lots of different things in here because, I don't know, find something that's personal to you that you feel a connection with and yeah. donate 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I don't know. Whatever you want. Yeah, whatever helps. And Just do something to acknowledge... You know, that we are living on stolen land. Exactly. Not just Thanksgiving. Not just Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's but, not, you know, don't just We're give just taking this time, the Thanksgiving opportunity to talk about this. Yeah. we can, and we should. Uh, anyway. All right. So, well, I'm going to be talking about Dr. Susan LaFleche-Picote. I swear to God, you were just going to say Dr. Seuss, and I was like, fuck I'm off. Be this is not Dr. April Fool's. Surprise. No. Dr. Susan LaFleche-Picote. Uh, the first person to receive federal aid for professional education and the first indigenous American woman to receive a medical degree. Oh, shit. Yeah, very, very impressive. Um, I got uh, my information from uh, the Changing the Face of Medicine website, Nebraska Studies website, and the Native Partnerships website. Uh, Dr. Susan LaFleche-Picote was born June 17th, 1865, so we're taking it back uh, almost a couple hundred years, um, to her father, uh, Chief Joseph LaFleche, also known as Iron Eyes, and his wife, Mary LaFleche, known as One Woman, um, on the Omaha Reservation in northeastern Nebraska. Uh, this was during a time where there was a lot of white reform from for the indigenous people, meaning white people were um, trying to do away with the native ways, as seeing them as barbaric and unclean. Um, so this was an especially difficult time to be living on reservation land because your resources were incredibly limited and thought of as less than to the settlers that were coming in and stealing your land. Um, I also wanted to uh, take a moment to give a shout out to my environmental science, English, humanities, Washington State history, and U.S. history teacher Heidi uh, for the large focus on indigenous studies while we were in school. Uh, Pearl and I went to a very small K-12 through school with very little funding, but we had so many teachers that cared so much about the quality of education of the students. 
Heidi made it a point in all of the classes that she taught to highlight the struggles of the indigenous communities all across the U.S., the importance of indigenous cultures in the history of our country, and not sugarcoat the atrocities that befell them by the hands of the European settlers. So, Heidi, if you're listening, thank you for that. And thank you for sparking such a love and giving me all the knowledge that I have of the outdoors as well. So, big shout out to Heidi. Truly. She's amazing. I love her. Um... Anyway, all right, back to the story. Um, so at eight years old, Susan came to the harsh realization of how little the white settlers cared about the indigenous people they had forced onto the reservations. An elderly woman of her tribe became very ill, so Susan stayed with her, waiting for help from a white doctor who they needed, uh, who they had been told um, would come to see this woman, though they were told repeatedly he would come to take care of her, Help never came, and the elder w- elderly woman unfortunately passed. Uh, but this sparked something in Susan, and she wanted to make a change for her people. She was homeschooled on the reservation until age 14, where she was then sent to the Elizabeth Institute for Young Ladies in New Jersey. And so this is where I was saying I'd talk about uh, those boarding schools. Um, now, I remember Quote learning... boarding yeah, schools. Yeah, boarding schools. Ugh. Now, I, I remember learning about these sorts of boarding schools in Heidi's class, um, and it just makes me so sad. And, like, uh, so they were they were receiving an education in things like mathematics, history, and such, but the core intention of the boarding school was to, quote-unquote, civilize the indigenous youth. Um, as was so horribly put by Richard Henry Pratt, the goal was to kill the Indian, save the man, a disgusting um, quote. I um, hate that with every fiber of my being. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, many of these children were taken from the land they grew up on from their families and put in these boarding schools to be taught the new American way of life. Um, they were indoctrinated with the importance of private property, material wealth, and monogamous nuclear families. In addition, there was religious training into Christianity, and they would be taught the principles of a de- democratic society, institutions, and political structure to train them to be a part of society. So, And it's like, train them? Yeah, train, train them? them. They're human beings. And, and also it talks about, like, they would cut their braids off, like Ugh, specifically so for like of the stuff like that. yeah, specifically like the young men. They would cut their braids off and just basically teach them that everything in their culture was wrong. So th- it's basically like um, somebody uh, coming into your house and saying, first of all, I own your house. Second, your religion and all your practices and way of life are wrong. And third, we're going to force you into doing things the way we think is best, and you really don't have a say in any of this, and just expect them to be cool with I it. I think everyone can agree that that is anyone's nightmare. Absolute nightmare. I could not imagine. I would literally, if yeah, someone yeah, just and busted obviously in. We and cannot imagine the magnitude. No. Of, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like we've but been talking about. That's a very good way to put that yeah yeah so it's yeah just imagine somebody coming into your house and doing that and that is just a small portion of what they had to deal with at the time um so and still have to deal with and still have to deal with um i I refresh my memory on the subject of these boarding schools on the nativepartnership.org website you can read about the boarding schools on there if you want to learn more it's uh very sad so you want to learn more yeah yeah so educate yourself and uh, understand. Me too. I want to learn more too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so anyway, Susan returned back home from the boarding school at the age of 17 and began teaching at the Quaker Mission School on the Omaha Reservation. Uh, while she worked at the school, there was an er, ethnologist there. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, which I didn't before I looking into the story, <laughs> those of all of us, I literally had no clue. I had to look into that when I read that. Um, an e ethnologist is someone who analyzes cultures specifically in regard to their historical development and similarities and dissimilarities between them. Um, the ethnologist was Alice Fletcher, and she was a big advocate for the Omaha people. She had fallen ill, and Susan was nursing her back to health. Uh, in this time they had together, Alice urged Susan to go back to school and get her medical degree. This be already being a dream of Susan's, um, from her childhood experience of the white doctors doing very little or nothing at all to help her people, it didn't take much convincing on Alice's part. Uh, while Susan was attending the Hampton Institute... One of the nation's first schools of higher education, the resident physician of the Institute, Martha, Martha Waldron, encouraged Susan to apply to the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania, which she herself um, was a graduate of. Alice, cool. yeah, yeah, so uh, even more Girl boss higher education. Shit. Yeah, she's, uh, she, uh, she recognized her talent and was like, you need to go here and like get your degree Good. from here. Um, and so Alice Fletcher, the ethnologist, helped Susan secure uh, scholarships from the U.S. Office of Indian Affairs and the Conne Connecticut Indian Association, which allowed her to attend the WMCP. So in 1866, Susan started uh, at the WMCP. She graduated with her medic medical degree three years later. And not only did she graduate a year early, but she also graduated top of her class of 36 students. So Hell she's got some talent. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Um, after returning to the reservation from medical school, she definitely had her work cut out for her. She was the only doctor on the reservation of over a thousand members. So that's, that's a, big responsibility. A, lo a lot to take care of. Um, in 1894, uh, Dr. Susan LaFleche got married to Henry Picote, uh, the brother of her sister's husband, Charles Picote. Um, she moved with him from the Omaha Reservation in Nebraska to Bancro uh, Bancroft, Nebraska. Um, here she set up her own private practice where she cared both for indigenous people and the European settlers. Um, she would later give birth to uh, Henry and her two sons, Carl and Pierre. Uh, while having a busy practice, Susan was also busy taking care of her kids, her ill mother, and nine years after their marriage, Henry fell ill and passed away, leaving her a widowed single mother with uh, a, a thriving medical practice. So, A thriving medical practice and two children. Yeah, and her kids were pretty young because yeah, they were only say. married for nine years, so both of her children were under the age of nine when her husband passed away. So, Ooh. yeah, she had a lot on her plate. Oh, that's... And so um, after the passing of her husband, Susan moved her and her two boys uh, to the town um, on a reservation called uh, Waltville, also in Nebraska. Uh, Susan helped build her own house that her and her boys lived in. Uh, Susan spent her time healing the sick and advocating for her people. On the Nebraska Study website, where I got a lot of the information for this story, um, I found a document that was a letter Susan had written to the Commissioner of Indian Affairs about the lack of resources her reservation had to spread the information about tuberculosis and alcoholism. 
Um, tuberculosis had taken a lot of lives, and many of them were kids returning home um, from those boarding schools I was talking about. Um, and the resources she requested seemed very reasonable, honestly. In the letter, it's just talking about some posters that have information about, like, how to avoid getting tuberculosis and, like, the like flies that carry tuberculosis. Health, literal public health exactly. information. Very simple stuff. If you guys don't care about them, you can at least care about yourselves and care about public health. Yeah. But and so, I guess not. Yeah, it was very simple stuff she was asking for. I couldn't find any f- information. And by you guys, I mean the government, I guess. Yeah. The... Do your job, government. Um, but yeah, I couldn't find it, any information on if she got the resources she requested, but I really hope so because they seemed very simple. Um, and yeah, so uh, you can find a photocopy of the original letter and a transcribed copy on the in the article about Susan LaFleche Picote on the Nebraska Studies website. Um, so later in 1906, she also led a delegation in Washington, D.C. to lobby for the prohibition on the reservation. She makes mention of why she is so adamant on the following of the prohibition laws in her letter to the Commission of Indian Affairs. Uh, white men were coming onto the reservation uh, bringing liquor to sell to the indigenous people, and in doing so, an intoxicated young man murdered an older man on the reservation and then committed suicide. So it oh. was... A very personal subject that that the white men were coming and taking advantage of the indigenous people and selling them booze. um, And it was uh, causing a lot of problems uh, on the reservation. So she went to D.C. and uh, led a delegation um, for prohibition on the reservations. Um, And then later in 1913, Susan's dreams of opening a hospital on reservation ground became a reality. Um, and they did this all without federal funding and all by themselves, built this hospital. Um, she helped. She literally helped build it herself um, and then also worked in the hospital. And it was just down the street from the house that she had built for her and her boys. Um, now this building has been restored and is filled with artifacts of Susan's life and is called the Susan LaFleche Picot Center. Um, unfortunately, only a year before the opening of the hospital, Susan was diagnosed with cancer triggered by persistent ear infections. And she was around the, I think she was uh, in her late 40s when cancer she was diagnosed with cancer. triggered by I had never heard that before. I don't know if that was just new like. fear unlocked. Well, I don't know if that was bitch. just like something from that's what they assumed at the time had caused it. Because obviously back in the, this was early 1900s. Well, they didn't yeah, have a lot of information on. I'm just like. What caused what? cancer. So I don't know if that was the actual thing. Infections. But um, <laughs> yeah. So, but do. she sent out a letter of help uh, having heard about a new possible cure for cancer that was being tested. The person in question that was working on this cure for cancer was Marie Curie, the Nobel Prize winning scientist. Uh, Marie answered Susan's call and actually sent a small nugget of radium, which Marie Curie had been working with in attempts to cure cancer. When they received the radium, they tried setting it in Susan's ear. It ended up falling too deep in her ear and it took hours to pull it out. Unfortunately, though, radium was not a cure to cancer. And yeah, is, radium uh, was quite, not the uh, move. radioactive. Um, that really fucked our shit up for a little bit there. Yeah, and it ended up actually being the cause of Susan's death. However, the cancer she had would have been fatal in not much longer of a time than the radium had taken. 
Um, so regardless, she would have passed away, but it was the radium that actually ended up being the cause. Uh, fun, not so fun fact, Marie Curie also died from radium exposure due to the fact that she wore a necklace with a radium pendant and was also constantly exposed to radium in her work. So that that was not great. I think I kind of want to tell the uh, the story of radium girls in the future have you ever heard of that i haven't okay well Ooh, so we don't yeah. don't tell me because we'll we'll yeah, uh do that in so another episode weird. um so after susan's passing in 1915 around the age of 50 the hospital continued to save lives up until the late 1940s um after that it served as a care center for the elderly and eventually in uh, 1989 was restored and turned into the susan the flesh pacote center so that wow. is the wonderful story of That's the amazing. first indigenous woman to receive a medical degree. That's fucking awesome. And save tons of lives and just be awesome. Yeah, there's some good information yeah, around that. alert. Yeah, there's some good information in on the websites that I listed um, just about the amazing things that she did. And she was just a really big advocate for just the health and safety of her tribe and anywhere that she lived because she even when they moved um to what was it the other city that her and her husband moved to Bangkok or whatever the fuck I don't think it was that but uh, um Bancroft oh. uh, to the when she moved to Bancroft she was um helping both indigenous and white people so she just cared about anybody that was around her um so yeah Great woman. Love her. It's nice. I mean, it's nice. I was going to say, it's nice that we can talk about really fucked up shit. But I meant... And then bring it up at the end. It's important that we don't only focus on the fact that, you know, yes, there's a huge problem with indigenous women and girls getting kidnapped and murdered. And, you know, we need to work on solutions to solve that. But we also want to highlight all the amazing things that they've done over the years for exactly their own communities and for our communities and just yeah yeah no and yeah like we've been saying it's just we we started this podcast just because we want to highlight both sides of humanity we both love listening to true crime podcasts and they're very interesting and you can get a lot of information but we hadn't seen as many sorts of things that give you the positives and the negatives. And it just like we say in the description of our podcast, it's the duality of man. And it's yeah, you can't have one without the other. The and yin and yang ebb and flow. Um, yeah. And that's very much like kind of our personalities too. I like I focus on the positive stories because that's what I literally love researching and not that Pearl just loves researching I about love death and destruction destruction. <laughs> but it is a very it's, interesting point of it's research very interesting for her. interesting to me. I have a lot of fun researching it. And I mean like many others, the morbid is very intriguing to me. I'm sorry, it just and is. And like in episodes like this, it can highlight such an incredible problem that's happening within our own state and all around the country. And we can hopefully, e- even though we're a smaller podcast right now, hopefully give a voice to the people who don't have as much of a voice. And um, just, yeah, any any voice helps. So Yeah. Yeah. So that is our stories those are our stories that and is our that stories. is our stories 
And uh, um, so like we said earlier, if you want to give us a little five-star rating or something, you that would be very it. nice. You really want to. It's going to be please. so fun. Uh, it's going to feel just, yeah, like Yeah, write looking. some weird stuff in the comment section of it. And uh, we'll uh, maybe we'll uh, read out the weirdest one on the next yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be Top fun. Or we'll just read them all out. And, on um, the next episode, be no funny. one's going to give us a fucking review. And we'll get to the next episode. And we'll when be like, there's reviews, so you we'll read off some good ones. How about that? anything yeah so yeah yeah give us a little like comment review any of those sorts Subscribe, of things and, yeah. uh, comment below <laughs> <laughs> all those things that everybody says all of those good things and, and yeah again like if you have any stories related to the content of this episode or any previous episodes or any content that we um, would be doing uh, any of your own stories or any interesting stories you've heard of send us an email at yikes that's amazing podcast at gmail.com or send us a dm on instagram anything like that um and yeah, yeah um follow us on our instagram yikes, and we that's have a amazing. tiktok page as um, well yeah we have a tiktok yikes that's amazing pod um so you can follow us on either of those and you can see pictures relating to our episodes you can see pictures of us. You can see pictures of our cats, which is the main reason why you should go visit. Exactly, that page, they literally fuel our research with their uh, cuteness. Yeah, and you know, do little polls on our Instagram and stuff. You guys can be involved. It's so fun. Yeah, and on a lot of our um, Spotify episodes as well, we've got some polls or questions that you can answer. Um, so yeah, just interact with any of it and give us some uh, tips. And if you're too critical, um, we will cry. <laughs> and um, we'll we will be very sad, but we will be just as critical back. And we'll be we'll actually you we'll a be negative more review, critical. So and we'll be really mean. So, be mean to us. But be honest and give us some uh, feedback. So thank you, you for listening. Have anything to say, Karen? No, she being a oh, quiet girl. She says no. Yeah, okay. she's like, I'm shy. I'm too shy. We'll have to get her to say something sometime. We anyway. Will. Anyway, thank you for listening. And uh, we look forward to seeing See you back you here next, next week. Okay. All right. Bye. Goodbye.